Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. We hope that you'll be there and join it. They're, they're excited about it, and so it's going to be a great time. And book of James chapter 1, and when I get there, we're going to get to verse beginning in verse 16. And so as kicking off this camp meeting this morning uh, and talking about revival, uh, you know, I, I believe that, uh, you know, I, I believe that God really wants to bring a real awakening to America. And uh, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, I don't know if you have, they say there's a restaurant on the other side of the falls uh, that people like to eat at. And uh, in the restaurant, you can see a sign uh, from some of the seating area. There is a sign that's on the falls. And on the falls, that sign says, this is the point of no return. In other words, if you fall into the falls and you get past that sign, you better start calling on Jesus because uh, it's, it's, this is the point of no return. Now, I don't know if America is at the place or the point of no return this morning. I don't know. Some believe that, they, that America might be, that it's refusal uh, to repent and, and as a nation, it may be there. But I'm just going to believe the best of God. I'm just going to believe that God's not finished with America yet, that God is not finished with our nation yet, and I believe that God can really send a real awakening. But if there's an awakening that's going to come in America, it's not going to come through a personality, an evangelist. It's not going to come through a worship leader. It's not going to come... Now, uh, don't go and say pastors against worship leaders. No, it's not going to come through some huge ministry. I think that if a revival is going to come to America, it's going to come through a resurgence of the love of the Word of God. There's going to be a Word of God revival. It'll be a Word of God where people will fall back in love with God's Word again. It'll be a, it'll be a Word revival. And they'll, they'll have to be, it'll be a return to biblical truth. It'll be a return to the Bible as an authority in our lives. And, uh, uh, and so we live in an hour or a day when biblical illiteracy is at its highest. And I believe that if there is going to be a move of God, it'll be because people return back to the reading of the Word, praying of the Word, meditating on the Word, and obeying the Word. That is what's going to bring an awakening to America It's not going to be a personality or a big ministry. It'll be the hunger of the Word of God that enters into the hearts of people that will transform the lives of people and bring a revival back to America. And we must understand the Bible is more than just words, right? It's God's Word. It's more than just words. It's more than just words that are written on a page. It is God's Word. And we know that in this hour, one of the biggest attacks today on Christianity is not the fact that they come against us meeting, or not the fact that they come against the songs we write, or the songs we sing, or how we worship, or how we do church. The biggest attack that we are facing today is not that the church lacks acts of kindness, or the church lacks the ability to feed the homeless, or ability to clothe the naked, But it's going to be the biggest attack in our country, I believe, is going to come against the Word of God. Going to come against this book. 
and the authenticity and the errancy of this book. I believe that we are now seeing some of that now in the hour that we live in. If people can claim that this book and the Word of God, uh, uh, this is not just God's Word. It's not a piece of literature. And if they can say that this book is just literature, in essence, what they can say is, in essence, and what they can say is that man can be God because he has the final say. So if man can say that this book is not real and that it's inerrant, if man can say that this book has fallacies or it's not the true word of God, then man himself becomes God. Are you all with me this morning? And in essence, he has the final say. But I'm here to tell you, man doesn't have the final say. God has the final say. Because his word is not inerrant. His word is truth. And it's real this morning. Back in April, uh, a fashion magazine called GQ. Y'all ever heard GQ? I've been on the cover a couple times. Uh, No, I haven't. But a fashion magazine called GQ did an article on the 21 books that you uh, not to read. And uh, this was in April, shortly after the outbreak of the pandemic. And you can go online and you can read it. You can look it up. All you have to do is Google it. And it'll give you the 21 books that the fashion magazine represents or suggests that you don't read. Well, one of them is the Bible. The Bible is on a list of books that you should not read. Of course, we all understand that, that GQ magazine is a, a literary expert, of course. We recognize them as being literary experts. And uh, you would never think that GQ would have such expertise on, on uh, literature, being a fashion magazine. Now, they also said that books like Huck Finn and uh, The Old Man and the Sea by Hermes Hemingway and Lonesome Dove, and so that's, that's the books about Texas, so all you Texans can get mad at that. And uh, not only Lonesome Dove, but also Lord of the Rings. These are some of the books that you're not supposed to read. Matter of fact, there's about five or six of those books that have had biblical influence in them. Did you realize that Huck Finn quotes scripture and has had a biblical influence? Uh, a biblical influence in its writing. Of course, you know Lord of the Rings, of course. But the Bible was mentioned on those uh, suggested books not to read. In other words, we know the Bible is more than just literature. And one of the questions I get a lot uh, as a pastor is, one of, the, one of the things that I hear, I hear more now in this generation than I did when I first started in ministry uh, 30 years ago or in seminary, I hear this question. I, they, say, they, they say, Pastor, uh, I don't, uh, I'd like to know what your interpretation is of this scripture. I mean, that's a question I get all the time. What is your interpretation of this scripture? And I say, I usually say the Bible is of no private interpretation. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? The Bible is no, no, but it doesn't matter what my interpretation is. Or what your interpretation is, it's what the Bible says. In other words, the way to understand the Bible is what we call methods of biblical interpretation. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Say with me, I am going somewhere this morning, whether you 
whether you're with me or not. But the way we interpret the Bible is through a, a biblical method, which we call exegesis. It's when you, it's when you uh, interpret the Bible. It comes from two Greek words. It means to draw out, like drawing water out of a well. It means to draw out the meaning uh, of that scripture. And there's several ways to do that. It means to draw out. In other words, in biblical interpretation, you exegesis the passage. You pull out of that passage, scripturally, uh, its interpretation through exegesis. And so you, you're drawing out of that. And so... In contrast, there's what's called eisegesis, which means to, it means in, it means to look into. And so if I was to interpret the scripture myself, uh, in a sense to make it say what I want to say, then I'm eisegesing it. In other words, it means to look into or to, it means to look into. In other words, it means to, to, to look into that scripture, instead of drawing out of that scripture, I'm looking into that scripture and putting into it what I want to put into it. And so there are several forms of biblical exegesis. There is historical, which is the meaning of the history of it at that time. You can exegese it through what is called textual, making sure that the context of that scripture, what was the context of that moment, what is the context of that passage, Allegorical, in other words, to, to speak, uh, to, to, to uh, break down the story or the parable. So you would uh, allegorically uh, exegese it. Uh, there is revelatory or revelation. Now there are many uh, Bible scholars who don't believe that, that uh, revelation exists in Scripture. I'm one that does. I do believe that that. that Revelation is a part of Scripture. And you say, well, what does that mean? That means that God speaks to me. How does that verse apply to my life today? That's revelatory. That comes through revelation. Now, we know there's an extreme on both ends, right? There's those who say that God doesn't speak today. And then there's those that say God speaks to them about everything. Like what kind of honey they put on their bread. And all those things, the revelatory. There's the extreme of that. But I do believe that God does speak revelatorily, and when he speaks that way, we call it like this. We call logos the word of God. So when you read of the word of God, you're reading the logos of the word, which is the written word, but the revelation of the word is what we call rhema, rhema word. It's a word that means right now. In other words, what is God saying to you through the scripture right now? How is God, how is this word applying to my life at this very moment? Now, I said all that to say this. When we come to talking about Scripture and we're talking about the importance of Scripture in our life, we must understand that, that, that all of this has to line up in what we call cohesive exegesis, which means this. It means it has to line up with the nature and character of God. So, however... Whatever method we use to interpret the scripture, we have to make sure that what we interpret lines up with the character and the nature of who God is and what the word of God is. Are you all with me this morning? And I say all of that to say this. I say all that to say that that we have a tendency to believe that, here's the thing, we are humans, we have a tendency to believe we are humans who are having a spiritual experience. But the truth is, 
We are spirits having a human experience. We think that we're humans that have a, a spiritual aspect to our lives. But the truth is we are spiritual beings. And by being spiritual beings, we are having a human experience. And the only thing to explain that human experience is the Word of God in itself. Are you all with me? In other words, the Word of God, this is a spiritual book written by a spiritual God to spiritual beings. That's why GQ magazine has no clue about what they're talking about. They have no clue about what's being said. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the unsaved man, the unborn again man, does not even have the ability to interpret Scripture or even to understand it. 2 Corinthians 3. The Bible tells us that he doesn't even have the ability to understand the book. I heard a preacher one time, I heard a preacher attacking the Word of God one time by saying things like this. That the Bible needs to be looked at like we understand and look at other pieces of great works of literature in, a, in the world. I was totally shocked. I was totally shocked. In other words, you know, the Word of God is on the same level, it should be treated the same, as Shakespeare. Right? Shakespeare was a great writer. I mean, he wrote, I mean, 80% of what he wrote really wasn't true. He did use histories in some of his writings and some of what he did write, but he would change the narrative of the story. So it's kind of like a movie that says, well, this movie is based on a true story. So in other words, what he was saying this is that the Word of God has to be interpreted and, and, and it's interpreted by your worldview. In other words, you interpret this Word based upon your worldview. Your world and so the Scripture tells us that the Bible is of no private interpretation. That's what the Scripture tells us. You don't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets you. Are y'all with me this morning? This don't feel like camp meeting, but before the, before the morning's over, it's going to be. We don't, we don't just interpret. The Bible interprets who we are. The Scripture interprets us. It's of no private interpretation. For years, oh, I mean, ever since I, I became a Christian 33 years ago, ever since then, I, I've heard this argument. There's, there's always this growing movement about about the inerrancy of Scripture, starting to come back around. I'm starting to hear uh, a generation say, well, the Bible is old and it's outdated. The Bible is, uh, the Word of God is just, it's, it's, just, it, it's not for this day. It's, it's, un, it's, it's uninformed. It's, it's, it's a dinosaur. The Bible surely doesn't know and can explain the things in which I am going through today. It's too old school for me. That the word is just too old school. And the truth is, is that, is that, is that it's like this. People, people say this. They say, I used to hear all the time when I first became a Christian. They say, well, I can't believe the Bible is true because I believe there's just too much in it that can't scientifically be proven. So they say things like this. It is scientifically impossible for a man to live in the belly of a fish for three days. Guess what? I agree. 
I agree. It is scientifically impossible for a man to live in the belly of a fish for three days. But it's also scientifically impossible for an ocean to open up and three million people to walk over on dry ground. It's also scientifically impossible for a virgin to be pregnant. Come on, y'all with me? It's also scientifically impossible to walk on water. It is also scientifically impossible for the dead to be raised in the natural sense. But we're not talking about just any book. We're not talking about just any God. We're talking about a God who has the ability to do the impossible because God is God. And all things are possible with God to him who believes. <laughs> and if, if you're here this morning and your God is subject to science, I feel sorry for you. Oh, got to follow the science. You ain't heard that on the campaign trail, have you? Got to follow the science. Let me tell you, it's the same old strategy the enemy has been using since Genesis chapter 3. And he said this, did God really say? And it's the first mention, it's the first thing Satan says, did God really say? Did God really say? I mean, the law of first mention, when you think of the law of first mention, in other words, that is the precedence of the argument of the enemy throughout history. He can't defeat Christ. He can't defeat the church. He can't defeat the gospel. He can't defeat this word. So what he does, he tries to criticize it, get you to doubt it. But I'm here to tell you, no matter how long he's been saying it, it's still true. God's word is true, and every man is a liar. Glory to God. Glory to God. He tries to cast out, always casting down. Huh. Hallelujah. Bless his holy. So I want to look at this passage of scripture this morning in the book of James. And I believe every word of this book, even if I don't understand it. Even if I don't understand it. If you think this book is limited to our finite, our finite interpretation or our finite intelligence, you have another thing coming this morning. Because the interpretation of this book is not limited to what I can understand about it. This book is not limited to what men can say about it. This, this book is not limited to what men think about it. I'm here to tell you, there may be things I don't understand, but I have to believe by faith. I have to walk by faith. If God says it's true, I've just got to trust that it's true. He doesn't have... Listen, that's why, the, that's why the devil has gone moving from talking about issues of the Scripture to now he gets you to doubt the authenticity of the Scripture. So let's look at James chapter 1 and verse 16. I want to show you something this morning really quickly, a couple of things. First of all, beginning in verse 16, do not be deceived, my brethren, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variance or shadow of turning, the scripture says. Now he begins, James begins this book by talking about a church that has been scattered. It's an interesting book. This is a book about practical living in difficult days. This is a book about behavior, 
how the Christian should live practically, how he should behave in certain situations of life. James goes on after he speaks of trials and temptations. He says the church is scattered in verse 1. He says the church is scattered. And so we're living in an hour when, when the church is scattered. It could physically scatter. There are churches all over America unable to meet this morning. But I was glad to see that Tennessee and, uh, and Florida had opened up their states. They can all meet. All churches can meet. But some are scattered. During this COVID, 63% of churches are not open. Isn't that amazing? And that less than 50% of attendance is back at church even from the beginning of COVID. And so the church could be looked at as being scattered this morning. Being scattered. It's not persecution. It may be intimidation, but it's not persecution. And so we could be scattered this morning. And he goes on and he begins by talking about the difference between a trial and a temptation. In other words, God allows trials to come into our life to purify our faith. Temptations come into our lives so that the enemy can destroy our life. And the difference between a trial and a temptation is a trial is God trying to bring the best out of you, where a temptation is Satan trying to bring the worst out of you. That's how you know the difference. But sometimes trials can sometimes look like temptations and look like difficulty. But the truth is a trial is God really trying to pull out of you something that is in you that's going to be worthy to you and be of good use in your life down the road. But temptation is to destroy you and to end your life and end your purpose in life. And then he comes to this passage in verse 16 and you're going to see that five times in just 11 verses he mentions the word of God. James talks about the value, the foundation of the Word of God in the midst of these scriptures. Don't be deceived. In other words, this could be an area where you don't see things correctly. That's why he says that. Do not be deceived, deceived, brethren, my beloved brother. Do not be deceived. In other words, let's make this clear to you. We don't want you to miss this. We don't want you to be ignorant of it. He says this, and the first thing he says is, good things come, I'm just going to paraphrase, good things come from God, bad things come from the devil. You get anything this morning, understand God is not the author of bad things. God is a good God this morning. He's a faithful God this morning. Everything you got that's good has come from God. He's a good father. He's a good savior. He's a good, he's a good, he's a good, uh, he loves you with everything that's in his heart. He's a faithful God, and he loves you this morning. And so as we look at this, and you go down through there, it said in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift from above comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance or shadow of turning. In other words, there is no, there is no sifting of shadow is what it means. God's not vari- God's not a variable. Life is variable. Is it not right? Life can be variable. Just as the sun comes in and comes out, as shadows come and disappear. It's the variance of life. There's a variance of life that takes place in all of our lives. But in the midst of trial, he's still God. In the midst of good times, he's still God. In the midst of temptation, he's still God. In the midst of heartache, he's still God. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's no variances that are in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't be deceived. The power power of the word of God that is in your life. 
the power of the word of God that exists. And it says in verse 18, and his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. In other words, what's it say? It said by the word of truth. Verse 19, so then my brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce but does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive the meekness, the what? The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word. There it is again. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues it, and is not, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So he's, he's looking into the word of God as a mirror. If he looks into the word of God as a mirror, he'll be blessed. Right? How many are blessed when you obey the word of God? If anyone among you thinks he is a religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And then verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans, the widows, in their trouble, and to keep, one's unspot, keep one unspotted from the world. Now that's a whole, lot of, a whole lot of scripture with a whole lot of deep meaning. In other words, what he is saying here is that there has to be, James is going through, and he's taking you through some stages of life, and he's saying that you've got to have the right attitude towards the Word of God in order, you must, you must have the right attitude toward the Word of God, and if you do, if you'll carry the right attitude, God will produce two things in your life, holiness and righteousness in your life. And so, when we begin to look at this. Now, it's interesting. How many of you know you just can't pick and choose out of the Word of God what you want to obey? You just don't pick and choose. How many know that, that, that you, know, uh, you can't just go by your feelings? Would you all say we live in a generation that has feelings? <laughs> they tell me you hurt my feelings. Everything's about how I feel, how I have felt. <laughs> the Word of God can't be trusted. And, and I got to feel good about Christianity. I got to feel good about church. I got to feel, I got to feel because the truth is God wants me happy. No, God don't want you happy. He wants you holy. <laughs> he wants you holy not just happy now if you're holy happiness is a byproduct of being holy but you can't be holy and immoral at the same time you can't be happy and immoral at the same time that's why Proverbs 16 says there's a way that seemeth right to man but in the end it leads to death in other words you can't pick and choose the word of God because life will prove that the word of God is true. 
I've sat with hundreds of people and I've said, listen, this is what the word says. And they, they'll say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. But the truth is this. I don't have to defend that because life itself will defend that. Life will show you that the path you're on is not right. Life will show you that what you're sowing into and what you're reaping, it'll show you that if it's contrary to the word of God, life will be the one that changes your course. Life will be the one that'll show you, it will show you, life will show you what is right and wrong. I just say, hey, I'll leave the light on for you for when you come back. Because the truth is, a life outside the Word of God is a life that's leading to death and a life that's leading to destruction. And there seems a way that seems right to a man in his own eyes, but it leads to destruction. It leads to the death of his life. I don't have to fight somebody and defend the Word of God. I just give the Word of God, let the Word of God do the work, and if folks refuse to believe the truth, life is the, will be the adjustment. Okay, well... Going over good this morning, I'm telling you. I feel camp meeting all over the place. (laughs) Well, preacher, I don't believe what you believe. Well, you don't have to believe what I believe. Because we know the world's way doesn't work. What's 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 going to be the basis of how I live my life? There's the world, which is my way. There's the word, which is God's way. David said it like this in Psalms 118. The largest chapter in all of Scripture has to do with the Word of God. Did you know that? All over Psalms 118 is all about the Word of God. My hope, David said, my hope is based in your Word, O Lord. That all my hope. In other words, look, we can't change the trials of 2020. We can't change the difficulty that most people have walked through or whatever trials come into your life. But what we can change is we can change our attitude toward how we approach life. And the way we do that is through God's Word, through the power of God's Word. And so I'm just going to give you a couple of things this morning to leave you with as you go out. And, 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 and I want you to see this. There's a, at the end, I want to show you something I've never seen in Scripture before. But I want you to understand our attitude towards the Word of God. If we're ever going to be victorious, if we're ever going to live, if there's ever going to be an awakening again in America, if there's ever going to be awakening, a worldwide awakening, we have to understand that our attitude towards the Word of God has to be a certain way. So I'm going to give you three riot attitudes. Revival in our town. I'm going to give you three riot attitudes. You can riot with this. Come on, riot. You, look, you don't have to have spray paint. Just have the Word of God. You don't need a club, the bass windows down, right? You don't have to have something to set. Listen, you don't have some, you don't need something in your hand to set something on fire because what you have in your hand will set you on fire. You don't have to loot to get what you want, but you can read the word of God and live under the canopy of the blessing of God. How many know God's a greater provider? <laughs> I know, but I like those Nike high tops, man, and they're free. Praise God, they're free. I know some of y'all. If y'all wasn't so white, you'd be down there looting too. All right, I'm going to move on. Number one, grateful for truth. Be grateful. Our first riot attitude should be, we should be grateful for the truth that saves us. (laughs) 
How many are grateful for the truth that saved you? Verse 16, do not be deceived. He goes on to say, he goes on, every good gift comes from God. We read that. There's no variance in God. But in verse 18, and his, his own will, he brought forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. In other words, that we, that God has come to us, God has blessed us through his salvation, through the word of truth, we become first fruits. Now, what does it mean to become first fruits? What's he talking about? Well, we don't live in a commodities day like they did where they would bring every, uh, all of their harvest. They had to grow food to get it. We just go to Kroger or Walmart or wherever and get it. But they had to grow their food. But as their appreciation to God, they would take a portion of that first fruits and they would offer it to God as a, as a first fruit, kind of like we do with a tithe, is that we offer it to God as a gratitude for our salvation. As a, as a gratitude for all that God has done. It says, in Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of truth, the first fruits, is what we bring to God. We give God that first portion. That's why we come to church at the first day of the week. What are we doing? We're giving God the first fruits of our life. And so, how do we, how, how do we grateful for the truth that has set us free? It's this. Here's what that represents. It represents your will. Your ability, your will to realize that your sins are forgiven. In other words, you realize, you realize this. It has to do, the giving of the first fruits has to do with the will. Our gratitude and salvation there has to be something that comes out of our will, out of the gratefulness that God has saved us through the word of truth. My will has been transformed. I don't give, I don't pay tithe because I'm made to. I don't worship the first day of the week because I'm going to be beaten if I don't. I worship because in my will, salvation has changed my life and I want to serve God and be obedient in every area of my life. And because of that, I am grateful for the truth that brought salvation to my life. Come on. Let me take it deeper. Let me take it deeper. That's why some people, well, I don't know if I should go here or not. I will, I will, I will. It's, it's camp meeting week. Wait, we'll just go ahead and go all, we'll go all the way in. That's why some people get upset at some people if they get a little bit exuberant and worship. <laughs> I know, I feel it sometimes. Y'all be like, well, why, why is she up there dancing around? Got a tambourine. Why they pick up a flag? Why they got, why they got to dance like that? Why they got to beat like that? Why in the world do they got to shout as loud as they can shout? Why do they got to sing off key to the, to the loudest that they can? They can't even carry a tune. They're busting my ear out with that bad singing. I can hear them down at, down at the, the Bicentennial Park. They always got a story about how good God is. They're always happy. They're always, they always got about. They're like Tigger on Winnie the Pooh. 
They're just bouncing everywhere. They gotta, just like they gotta hear what God did today and what He did yesterday and, and God did that. God, don't they have just a normal life, a dead, boring life like me? I'll tell you why they dance. I'll tell you why they sing. I'll tell you because why? Because they're grateful for the salvation that God has brought to their life. If you were ever a drunk that needed deliverance, you know how good God's been. If you were ever a drug addict that needed salvation, you know how good God is. If you've ever been addicted and set free, if you ever have never felt love and felt peace and felt joy in your life, I'm telling you, you dead beasts just sit there. I'm going to just dance a little bit and sing a little bit. I don't have a lot of money, but I got the first of the week. I got Sunday morning, baby. I'm tired. I'm grateful for the salvation that came through the truth of the Word of God. And if there's ever going to be a revival, you want to riot? You better riot out of gratefulness. You better ride out of the goodness of God. You want to riot? You want to riot? Hold up the banner of God's goodness. Hold up the banner of God's provision. Hold up the banner of God delivering you when you didn't deserve to be delivered. Hold up the banner of your marriage being put back together. Hold up the banner of being free when you once were bound. Hold up the banner of what it was like to be bound and depressed and broken and messed up from the toe to the head up, being all kinds of craziness. But God, through His Word, was able through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring truth into your life. Glory be to God. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Number two. <laughs> How do we riot? What's our second attitude? Is this, our second attitude should be this. Humbly accept the truth that comforts us. <laughs> Woo! Humble. You know, you know why? And I'm going to show you where it's at here in this passage. The reason that word is used is because pride, pride. Men walk around with pride thinking that pride is truth. Humbly. In other words, what's it say? What's it say there in verse 19 through 21? Verse 19. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift, be swift to hear, slow to speak, which we don't do, slow to anger, which we don't do, for the wrath of man does not produce what? Righteousness in God. What are we rioting for? We're rioting for righteousness, right? So, slow to speak, quick to, really it means quick to listen, it means slow to speak, it means slow to wrath. See, because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't, it, there's not a, the righteousness of God does not flow out of. And all of these, being ability to slow to speak, quick to listen, 
and slow to anger has to do, the root is pride. Pride is the root because if you're going to speak, i got to say it because I'm right. Okay, I don't know if i got the right crowd, but it's all right. That's right. Somebody's listening on live stream. It's going to get it. But, right? Slow to, it's pride. Slow to anger. What is anger? Anger is rooted in pride. You don't think so? Ask Nebuchadnezzar. Rooted in pride. Hitler, rooted in pride. Now, I'm not saying you're Hitler. You don't straighten up, you might be. Right? But verse 21, look what it says. I need an answer. I need an answer. I need an answer. I need an answer. How do, what does it mean to, humi- to humbly accept the truth that, is, that, is, that, is, that comforts me? Look at verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. Uh-huh. Say all filthiness. It means moral filthiness is what it means. And overflow of wickedness. And receive. See that? Receive what? What am I receiving? Or how am I receiving? I'm receiving with what? Meekness, which is humility. Right? I'm receiving the word of God, but what am I receiving? I'm receiving, I'm receiving the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Hallelujah. You know what that means? That I humbly accept the truth. That I meekly accept the word of God, the implanted word of God in my life. How do I overcome all moral filthiness? How do I, how do I come? How do I root the pride out of my life from, from, from uh, being quick to speak and slow to anger and, and, and you know, all the, how do I do that? I receive the word of God. I have to humbly receive it. If there is going to be a move of God in America, there must be a humility that falls upon this nation. Now, I'm watching TV one day, watching the news, which I probably shouldn't because my blood pressure just like, (laughs) my wife says, what are you watching? Nothing! (laughs) I don't, I'm just kidding. But but it gets you that route up, you know, it just gets you, gets a... So a governor gets on there one day, and a governor, he's from a state up north in the northeast quarter of the nation, uh, New York. Uh, I'm not going to tell you his name, Governor Como. He gets on there one day and says, we have beat the curve of the coronavirus, and I'm tired of people saying we need to pray because God had nothing to do with it. I'm here to tell you, God's got everything to do with it. God's got everything. But the thing is, in order for God to have something to do with it, you've got to let God have something to do with it. You've got to humble yourself to the Word of God, that the written Word of God, and it has to be implanted in your life. Okay. I am praying for His salvation. I'm praying for... Listen. So pride, what, what does that mean? I'm hurrying. I'm about done, y'all. I am. I really am. Reading the Bible. So let me, let me tell you what the Bible is. The Bible is the uh-oh of your life. It's the uh-oh of your life. And every time you read, every time, every time you read something, 
uh-oh. Every time you read, we need a little doll, a little RVCC doll that says, uh-oh. We'd sell out of them. Put it on a t-shirt. Uh-oh. There's a t-shirt. My staff is always going, hey, pastor, that's a t-shirt. Like, we don't have enough t-shirts. I got 5,000 t-shirts I can't sell now. We need another t-shirt. I'll buy it. But the word of God is the uh-oh of our life. You know what the uh-oh of your life is? You read something, you go, oh, I don't like that. Uh-oh. Uh, I don't agree with that. Uh-oh. Right? Y'all with me? You still with me? I don't want to do that. Uh-oh. I don't even know what I think about that. Uh-oh. This word, if you love this word, and it's implanted in your life, this word will become the uh-oh of your life. Because this word sometimes doesn't agree with all of everything that's happening in your life. But it says we're to humbly receive the implanted word of God. I hope that makes sense to you. In other words, you can't cherry pick the word of God. Don't you love the word of God cherry pickers? Like you don't want to know what the biggest cherry in the word of God is? Judge lest you be judged. I don't have to judge because the word of God says he that sins is judged already. And we are to judge. We're to judge fruit. We're to judge a lot of things. I like what Tim Keller said. He said it like this. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. <laughs> That's the truth. The word accept comes from the Greek word diami, which means this. It means to welcome like a stranger. When it says to accept, to meekly accept the word of God, it means to welcome to let come in, to welcome. I mean, when we approach the Word of God, we should approach the Word of God in, in this aspect. In other words, it means to welcome in, to let come in. Even if we, It means to let a stranger in. That's what the Word means. Sometimes the Word of God enters our life. We have no idea by obeying it what the effect is, but we ought to be, just like that Word says, we ought to receive it in, knowing not the outcome, but how many know the Word of God never fails? That we are to receive and accept the Word of God. I want to read to you uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2 and verse 13. This Word is used in one other place in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 13. I'm, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying, I am, I'm hurrying. It says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because you received, there's that word, the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. You get it? You welcomed it, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also, now what it does, when you receive it and let it come in, what did I say? When you receive the word of God, let it come in. Look at the last part of the verse. It says, also effectively works in you who believe. Woo! That's good stuff. That's chicken soup. That's chicken soup. You know why that's chicken soup? Because that's truth. 
When you receive the Word of God, if you don't receive the Word of God, you can't, God can't work in you. So our attitude towards writing should be that we're grateful for truth that saves you. We humbly accept the truth that has comforted us. And then I'm going to finish with this. This morning, Pastor Adam, if you'll come. Number three, intentionally embrace the truth that guides you. Look at verses 22 through 25. I lost my place. I got so happy. I lost my place. 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets the kind of man he is. Mm, That's powerful. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So if a man looks into the mirror and doesn't forget what he sees through the mirror, if he's willing to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer, the Bible says that he receives the blessing of what he sees in the mirror. Right? It's a blessing of the word of God. Now, how many of you ladies are thankful for mirrors? Y'all thankful for mirror? You know, sometimes you go to the mirror and you're like, oh my God, has my eyelash been half off all day? And the husbands get yelled at like, why didn't you tell me that? I don't know. I thought it was a new fashion you were doing. I don't know. <laughs> you ever, you know, go to the mirror and your mascara has ran, you know, because you don't buy the good stuff, Right? Come on, I got any mascara salesman? Come on, here's your pitch. Woo, buy from me. So it doesn't run. And you've seen it. What, what's the mirror we're doing? It, it's, it's revealing who you really are. You are standing there, not in the mirror, thinking that you are looking one way. Like, it's, like, it's like us guys, we think we're looking fresh. Right? And then we realize when we get in the mirror, it's like, oh, not so fresh. Here's the thing. It's a difference between perception and reality. The Word of God always centers us back to the reality. What the enemy wants you to do is live in perception. And live in those things that you think are right and think are real. If there's going to be, let me tell you something, if there's going to be revival, we've got to start putting our faces back into this word and reflecting what it reflects back to us. That's how you riot. That's how you have revival in your town. That's how you, that's how righteousness flows in your life. Stand with me if you want. I want to close with this. I want you to see this. I have been, I have been.
The scripture says, it says that he looks into the perfect law. That word is intense. I mean, it's intently. It says he that looks intently. Same word that was used by Peter when he got to the tomb. When Peter looked into the tomb, he looked intently because he wanted to make sure that what he saw was what he saw. We need to intently look into the word of God. We have to be intentional about reading. You say, well, I read my Bible. That's not enough. You've got to study your Bible. You've got to study your Bible. You've got to read your Bible. And not only study and read your Bible, you've got to meditate on your Bible. What are you doing? That's intently. That's being intent into the Word of God. I do that every day. I do that every day of my life. I read it. I meditate on it. I look into it. I study it. Why? Because I'm looking into a mirror that's, that perfects my life. Now, I want you to see this. When we talk about rioting, I say those words, that's a strong word. Folks have let me know how strong a word that is. But we're living in an hour when that is happening. Let me tell you, I've been to places. I've been to CHOP. I walked in CHOP after they rioted. I know what that place looked like. There wasn't a salvageable building in that eight blocks of CHOP. There wasn't one building that could be salvaged. I was there. I, well, I saw it. I saw the chaos. I saw the lawlessness. I saw it. I, so you can't tell me. You can't tell me. I've I seen the rioting. We've all watched it. We've all watched it on TV. We've all watched it. We've all seen it. But I want you to see something in verse 27. Verse 26 and 27. I've never seen this. I've read this scripture all my life. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, that kind of scripture kind of seems kind of out of context when you think of all that we've just talked about. And then verse 27, it says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To what? To visit the orphans, right? And widows in their trouble. And to keep one's unspotted, keep one unspotted from the world. Now, think about this. I've read this a thousand times. What kind of religion does the Father accept? He accepts a religion that cares for the orphans and the widows and their distress. What's he talking about? He's talking about the oppressed. He's talking about those that have been oppressed. What's he talking about? Justice. He's talking about justice. The orphans and the widows that are oppressed in their time of trouble. He's saying that the church, what kind of religion is a religion that cares for the oppressed. But then he goes on to say, as he ends that verse, look what he says, in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now what's that mean? That means to walk and live in righteousness. In other words, to walk sinless. Now let me tie this together. Don't get mad at me. Y'all promise? We have one party that all they talk about is justice. But they don't care much for how people live. Because they, they, they kind of approve things 
like abortion, that takes life, that has to do with righteousness, right? But they care about justice. And then, don't get mad at me, and then, and then, you, have, then you have the other side, who's all about righteousness, about all how people live, but we don't lift a hand to help the oppressed. We don't lift a hand to put food in the mouth of the hungry or to put clothes on the naked or to help the oppressed or to... Or to y'all go get mad at me. I, you know why? Because let, let me tell you, because it's not acceptable. It's not an acceptable religion. Let, let me tell you, here, here's the deal. Most churches are more about what they do for themselves than they are reaching out and touching those who have need. Y'all, some of y'all care more about, okay, you care more about what kind of carpet is in this building than you do the people that are lost and unsaved in that community and whether or not they'll be under that tent this week. You care more about making sure that the seat you're sitting in, that no one's in it next Sunday. <laughs> what are they sitting there for? They come like once a month. I'm an every weeker. <laughs> you see the distance, the difference? But what God says, an acceptable religion, cares about the justice as well as he does how you live. That your purity of your life is just as important. Listen, you can feed the hungry all you want, but if you ain't righteous before God, you can live righteous all you want, but if you never help the oppressed, if you never care about the poor children of this community and the, and the, and the, and the heartaches that are happening in this community, I know you all don't like it. I know you don't, I don't care. Take your medicine. Take it, take it, take it. It's prescribed this morning from the Holy Ghost. It's got a special prescription. But as a church, if we're going to do, if we're going to do, if we're going to riot, if we're going to have revival, if there's going to be a great awakening, we've got to start meeting the needs of the people that are out there and start living pretty good and living right in here. Huh? And what I want to do this morning is I want you to come down to the altar. I want you to gather around this altar. Those that can come. If you can't come, that's fine. I won't be mad. But if you can gather around this altar, all that can, come down around this altar. We're going to pray for our tent meeting. We're going to pray for the camp meeting this week. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.